A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer, host of The Chemical Show, and I am delighted to have with me today Joey Gullion. Chief Commercial Officer of the SI Group. The SI Group is a privately held performance additives and intermediates company that operates globally around the world. Joey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Absolutely. So it's been just an interesting year around the globe. As we're recording this, we are almost exactly one year into this global shutdown, right? or the pandemic, the real recognition of the pandemic. How has 2020 been, and just really the past 12 months for you, for SI Group, and for your markets? You know, it's interesting that one year ago today, this Friday, I got on a plane to go home for a short weekend to see my son play a golf tournament that he had scheduled for Monday. And I was at the airport on a layover on the way back to Texas from upstate New York and got the call that we were going to shut down the office. And we were doing that to protect our IT group because we were rolling out SAP in Asia Pacific and then to India. But to your point, 12 months later, and here we are. It's been an interesting year for SI groups specifically. We started a commercial transformation at this time a year ago, and we were really confronted with whether to complete that transformation and that reorganization in the middle of COVID where we couldn't see one another. And we decided to do it. And we saw this surge in demand as everybody was a little freaked out about their supply chain with COVID. And then it was hang on and conserve cash. And it was that way through the summer. And our team did an excellent job at that. And then in the fall, we started to see signs of recovery. And then this roaring recovery in Q4 and into the start of this year. And then our largest asset globally is in Freeport, Texas. And so we experienced the challenge of the winter storm there. So now we're fighting through that. So it's been a really interesting year. You know, as with any team, whether it's sports or anything, nothing like a crisis to drive focus, to bring people together. And for us, it's accelerated a lot of what is a transformation going on at SI Group. We've just had to adapt fast and the team's done an excellent job at that. We were pleased with how we did in 2020. And we're off to a good start in 2021. So no shortage of excitement, I think, is the easiest way to describe it. (laughs) Absolutely. So, like, what are the key elements of this transformation? So, obviously, you know, with you and with David Bradley, the CEO, both being fairly new in seat, you've obviously, you're there to make a difference. So, you know, what are the key elements of that and how is that playing out? Yeah, you know, it really starts with our vision statement about wanting to be a global performance additives powerhouse. And we intentionally chose the word powerhouse, and it sets a standard for us that at times feels out of reach, but it's also a North Star. 
you know, so it kind of throws benchmarking yourself out the window and you've got to kind of think, what am I going to do that's so different from everybody else that's going to establish this market leader? And that's really the journey we're on is a journey of building capability. It starts with a global operating platform. So in the middle of COVID over the last year, we've rolled out SAP globally. We're on a global operating platform now, and we have to optimize that. You know, the second piece is the cultural transformation and driving a new culture. So we rolled out a new set of values to our organization, very common sense values that very plain English. We took the time to spell out what each one of them means so people can understand that. And we want to be a values-driven organization, not a rules-based organization. And really the third component is become a proven executor. You know, when we say we're going to do something, execute against that. And that doesn't mean always that we're going to have success, but it means that we pick a path, we execute against it, we measure. And if it didn't work out the way we thought, that's okay. That's a learning cycle. Let's go back. What did we get wrong in our hypothesis? We must have had something wrong. Go back and reevaluate and learn through that. So I think it really starts on those kind of three pillars. And we know that we will not be able to achieve our vision organically. It would just take too long. Mm. But you've got to have those foundational pieces as you're driving organic growth so that you can tack on the M&A. You got to earn the right to spend the money. So it's a pretty simple plan, a lot of moving pieces, but I think fairly simple what we're trying to do. That's good. And uh, SI Group is obviously privately held, PE-backed. And does it make it easier to drive that transformation? Does it make it harder to drive that transformation? Does it put a different focus for you guys? Yeah. So being a private company certainly makes it easier. I think we're in a unique situation at SI where we've combined, you know, a hundred-year-old family company that was Schenectady International with a privately held SK-backed company called Adivant. And SK Capital is a unique private equity firm in the sense that they only do specialty chemicals and ingredients. And they're really good at owning companies. And they're mentors, they're coaches, they're sounding boards, but what they're interested in building is capability and a market leader. And that's the focus. And that provides us good alignment between what we're trying to accomplish and what they're looking to support and accomplish. I've been in other situations where that's not necessarily the goal of the PE firm or the other ownership structures. So for us right now, this is the best structure. Companies tend to find the right ownership structure as they work themselves through time and evolve. But right now, privately held is good. And the fact that it's SK Capital is very positive for the members of our organization. That's excellent. That's excellent. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that your asset in Freeport was pretty significantly impacted by the freeze, Winter Storm Yuri. Can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of what the impact is on your business, how you guys are looking at this going forward? You know, I talked to somebody recently who said one of the things they're grappling with is both their asset, but then their customers who use some of their products in the U.S. Gulf Coast who are also struggling to get up and running and particularly thinking about some of the polymers players, people in the petrochemical value chain and others. And they say, you know, we're trying to figure out what we do with potentially 10% of our sales for the year gone because people are shut down for four to six weeks. How are you grappling with that? Yeah, it's, (laughs) you know, carefully and in a mad rush. 
I think first and foremost, the focus was safety. And the challenge I think that most all of us ran into is the severity of the storm and the impact on utilities caused everybody to have to shut down in a non-controlled manner, in an unplanned manner. And that has all kinds of consequences for restart, which is challenging everybody's restart timelines and capabilities. But you know, safety was first and foremost for us and for our partners. I think that's really the second thing is you think about this partnership, it's a community down there on the Gulf Coast. And we're not only integrated with many of our customers, but we have a unique value proposition where we're integrated at multiple points in the value chain with our own chemistries from our intermediates all the way down through our additives. So we are really thinking through with our customers at the various points of the value chain, how do we support one another? We're sharing stores, we're sharing contractors, we're sharing spare parts, sharing best practices, communications. I mean, for the first few days, you couldn't get a cell signal. So shipping in satellite phones just to make sure that was everything safe and going okay. So we're slowly and methodically working ourselves back. And, and as you mentioned, we're in a similar position as others. So we are actively looking to figure out alternative ways so that as everybody's plants become ready for startup, we can support them in as good a way as possible. We have had to declare force majeure as many others have But that hasn't stopped us from keeping our employees and our customers first and trying to think creative ways to keep people moving along. It's interesting what you say about, you know, losing the business, because I actually probably have a different point of view where I think there's a certain amount of business that will be lost, but that's maybe 10 or 15% of this time of shutdown. I think the rest of it is just going to be delayed and probably will come roaring back and should be sorted out through the June-July timeframe is kind of what we're thinking. Because the market demand heading into this, as I said, it's been extraordinary. And I don't see that slowing down as vaccination rates pick up around the world, as the positive test rates are declining around the world. You know, I think you know, is an interesting update from the president last night on kind of the progress we're making and the goal he's setting out. I think good progress from the last administration. So there's definitely momentum going. It's going to take us a little while to get through this bubble and to get things back to a normal course. Yeah, absolutely. I actually share that point of view to a large degree, right? So there'll be some price recovery. (laughs) Frankly, if you look at where some of the prices are today, they've moved up tremendously just because of lack of supply. And with the latent demand, people should be able to catch up if They can ensure that their assets are running well, that their people are okay and in the right places and being able to recover and accomplish that. We'll be right back. Support for this episode comes from ChemDirect. ChemDirect is an all-in-one commerce platform to buy and sell chemicals online. Shop online to get products in days instead of weeks at a highly competitive price. If you're a supplier, you can launch a fully resourced digital channel for free. Now, we all know that digital is getting more and more important in chemicals, and that's something we discuss regularly on The Chemical Show. ChemDirect is here to help make it happen. Head on over to ChemDirect.com to check them out and use the code CHEMSHOW20 for a 20% discount on your first order. You know, one of my hypotheses on some of the challenges 
in just looking at what happened with this winter freeze in the U.S. Gulf Coast, right? So unanticipated to this order of magnitude, as you say, the shutdowns were rapid and uncontrolled or uncontrolled is not the right word, but they were rapid. They were not planned and sequenced the way that people would want them to be. And then, you know, I talk to people in other parts of the value chain that are concerned about their supply. So when I look at what goes on in the chemical industry, people have had a really keen focus on lean supply chains. Is that still the answer? When we look at what happened in 2020, so, you know, China shutting down early in the year, January, February, ports shutting down, making it really difficult to get supply. Fast forward through the year with COVID-related challenges and decisions that were made. We get to year end and a lot of companies, particularly the publicly held companies, choose to reduce some of their inventory and working capital to make their books look good for year end. And then, you know, six weeks later, before people have had a chance to really restock, we're slammed with a weather-related incident that's unplanned. Are you guys thinking about this in terms of what's the right supply strategy? Does it need to be more robust? Is being really lean the right answer? It's a good point. The legacy value proposition of SI Group for our customers, as well as our own internal supply dynamic, was to have production of all of our chemistries in multiple regions around the world. So we had multiple kind of redundant points of production, and we also had redundant points of supply so that we could, you know, weather those types of inefficiencies in the market or global supply disruptions or demand spikes in various places in the world. So it's been a competitive advantage for our platform for many years. There's a lot of debate that we're having internally and that we have with other people in industry about, is COVID going to change the willingness to rely on a truly global supply chain? Or will people start to de-risk their exposure a little bit more? You know, I'm in the camp of people will start to de-risk their exposure and rely a bit more on local supply. I don't think that's going to bring a huge price premium, but I do think it will provide some premium. The pendulum's not going to swing all the way back to local supply, but it probably will go a little bit. And yeah, it's something that we are constantly looking at, both on the supply into our system as well as the demand with our customers, because we do have many decades-long relationships with some of our key global customers that we support around the world. So, you know, maybe turning tags a little bit in terms of this. So, you know, some of the things that we're really seeing, and I think you've addressed this topic of just supply chain and potential reduction of some of the globalization. And that's certainly one of the themes that we're hearing throughout the year. Digitization. So it sounds like you guys have implemented an SAP protocol and program, which to kind of fund your back end and your business systems. Where else do you guys participate in digitization, right? So we see that this is a big trend. I think the chemical industry has pretty typically been maybe a step or two behind. In fact, frankly, probably most big major B2B companies are a step or two behind the consumer B2C companies. But is this a priority for you guys? Are you driving digitization across your business in any way? Yeah. So the priority for us was first really the global operating platform. And then we've also implemented during this last year, Salesforce.com Lightning. 
So a global CRM that we use to drive our commercial business. And so from that standpoint, the connectivity, the real-time sharing of information, the ability to drive enterprise priorities based on that information and market feedback is critical. But I think when we start thinking about digitization towards the customer, we're still behind. And I think there's work to do there. And there's a number of you know, different companies and different groups coming together to really examine that customer experience. I think the customer experience is one thing from digitization. <laughs> Let me start over there. That's a tongue think, twister, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's one thing from a customer experience standpoint to give them access to their invoices and the SDSs and the various data that they would like. I think we're definitely headed down that path and making good progress. I think there's an outstanding question in the B2B world about how much return is there actually in truly the digital marketplace, particularly in chemicals with the safety protocols and guidelines that are necessary, not just for the consumer, but for our own people and those involved in the value chain. So I think there's an open question mark there. It's something we actively explore amongst the SK Capital companies. We have a monthly call to talk about this. There are certain companies that are farther ahead than others, but we participate and have been learning about that with everybody else. Yeah, I think return on investment has always been a big topic. I mean, I worked in kind of digitization back when we called it e-commerce and e-business, you know, 20 years ago and through the years when I was at Shell in particular, and it's hard to make a business case because are you gaining new customers as a result of that? Yeah. Not necessarily because of the way customers are vetted and the way the process is and just the relationships. So if I go back to my distribution days, we were having conversations with a couple of our key supplier partners about how do we make it a seamless experience for the end customer? So they go to a selection tool and they want to look at the following product. When they gather that information, if you could in the background take the complexity away from order fulfillment from them. So they said, hey, I'm interested in a sample and or ordering the product. It really didn't matter whose website. They had no idea where they were hosted. And the fulfillment would get routed through an algorithm that are they tank wagon customer? Are they a rave car customer? Are they a drum customer? If they're a drum customer, they need to go to distribution and it gets fulfilled that way. So I think there's efficiencies in that linkage. And now on the supplier side of things, I'm having that conversation with distributors about, hey, I think there's an opportunity here. But then you start getting into, okay, so our Salesforce.com platforms have to be seamless to one another. Mm. And how do you do that in a way that everybody gets comfortable on both sides of that? So I think there's some more things that we need to sort out. But there is definitely an opportunity, back to some of your earlier questions, to lean this process out focused on the customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that your younger employees, younger customers are pushing you hard on digitalization? They do, but I think it's bigger than that, right? There's an evolution going on around what does positive return for the enterprise mean? And it's not just a financial return anymore. There's a social aspect to it. There's a sustainability aspect to it. And I think the workplace that involves inclusion and diversity, that involves the customer experience, it involves the type of people that come into the organization, how they can participate, how they're challenged, how we develop their careers. 
So I think it's a bigger question than just that, but there is definitely an evolution going on as you see this newer generation come into the workforce and whether they're employees, whether they're customers, even when I was still in sales, you started to see that where there were certain customers, they still wanted to see you and they wanted a handshake to do a deal. And then you had this new customers. I don't need to see you send me a text. And so how exactly are relationships developed? And you start to get into some broader philosophical debates about this evolution that's going on. But I definitely think that it is the remote workplace, whether it is how people are developed and challenged and how they feel a part of the enterprise, how the enterprise is a part of the community and society in general. There's a lot that we have to continue to evolve in our thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So you referenced that you moved from a major distributor and now you're on the producer or supplier side. What's the difference? It's different, right? Yeah. It is different. What's the biggest differences in how have you taken maybe the best of what you had in your prior company, Nexio, into Univar and now into SI Group? How have you taken that? What's the approach? What's different about your relationships, about the way that you work and about maybe even just business expectations? Yeah. The two biggest differences I notice are the transactional intensity of distribution is just significantly different than it is on the producer side of things. And the scale of the economics and how you think about making decisions. You know, the profitability levels and where you make money and how you invest in your resources is just very different. Distribution was a very sales intensive enterprise and a very lean logistics related enterprise. And you come over and you start thinking about innovation and the cycle time of innovation with your customers and who your customer is. It's very different. And so I think it changes the business cadence, the business rhythms, the metrics that you look at. It changes how you think about allocating resources. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change people. It doesn't change culture, certainly doesn't change leadership and the value that those things bring to the enterprise. And I think at the end of the day, business boils down to the sum of the people involved in that business. So from that standpoint, they're still very similar, just as it was. I mean, even if I go all the way back to my golf days way early in my life, you know, it is more about the people and the team and how that team comes together and gets aligned around and executes against a vision that drives success. You're going to find differences no matter what business you're in, but the people component remains pretty similar. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what's going to be your legacy? I mean, you're in a pretty senior position. You've got the opportunity to really make an impact. When you look back at your time at SI Group, what would you hope your impact is? Yeah, really good question. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. I do spend an enormous time thinking about our team and the people here at SI Group. And I like to phrase it as, I want to provide people an opportunity to feel challenged and develop and for them to create value for themselves and their families. And people define value in a lot of different ways. And David says it differently. David says that he wants to give people the opportunity to live their best life, both professionally and personally. I think it's a different way of saying a fairly similar philosophy, but I've always just had this kind of fundamental belief that if we provide that type of opportunity and that type of value 
to our teammates, the value that enterprise will get back, you don't have to worry about that. That will take care of itself. The business will be successful. So I spend most of my time thinking about that and trying to understand each individual at their level and what's important to them and what development needs do they have. And sometimes that's a really fun, positive conversation. Sometimes that's a challenging conversation. And what's beautiful about that is they'll bring feedback to you. I think what's challenging about that is when you arrive at some of those challenging conversations to have that intimacy of a relationship, that makes it tough. But you don't get the benefit without the intimacy of those relationships. And it's a leadership style I subscribe to. Not everybody does, but it works for me, I think, so far. So far, so good, right? <laughs> so far, so good. And I will, uh, I'll keep pursuing it. But, but mostly focused on the team and really their families and, by definition, the extended family of the organization. Yeah, that's excellent. I am a big believer at the end of the day, business is about people. You can have all these different products and services and structures, but you're working with people, you're selling with people and to people, you're buying from people. And it's kind of the relationship there that makes the key difference. Final question. What I find interesting is a lot of people, even in the chemical industry, don't know other companies very well. So, you know, what's one thing that people should know about SI Group that you think they don't know? Yeah. SI Group is an interesting position because of the history, but the opportunity that's in front of us. And the family that built this business left a beautiful platform for us to really start to utilize chemistry to create products that address sustainability. They address changing patterns of mobility, changing demographics. It's really interesting that we have a unique chemistry set and a unique set of assets around the world. And when you combine the, the Advent legacy to that, we have an opportunity to do something unique and different. And so I think what I would want people to know is that it's a new and different. It's not kind of legacy Schenectady International. It's not Advent. It's a very new group of people that we're bringing new talent and perspectives to really focused on changing chemistry going forward to help our customers be more successful. So there's a transformation going on here. It's an exciting time to be here. Sounds like it. It's a fun place to work. It's challenging, no question about it, but it's a fun thing to be a part of. Awesome. Joey, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed our time together. This has been great. I have too, and it's been good to reconnect. Absolutely. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.